Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Tonight's scripture is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I'm excited to share with you for a moment about we. Bill Eads has did a great job with we, and I'm happy to be more involved now. We is a mission work that you support at West Huntsville by your contribution. We stands for World English Institute. We have about a dozen West Huntsville members actively involved that has had over 1,000 students. But we need more teachers or more members. There just is not enough teachers for all the students. What is we? We uses lessons from the Bible to help people learn English as a second language. So students have to already have a good basic understanding of uh, English before they can participate. We is great because Glenn Holmes is about to give a great update of the mission work we support in India. But we can't all go to India and participate. However, with we, it actually gives us the opportunity to participate in a mission work that we are supporting. So when do you grade lessons? You grade them whenever it's convenient for you. The app and website are so easy to use. I actually do everything on my phone. I can be sitting in my recliner to do this. And some prefer their tablet or computer. And I like the uh, slogan we uses to encourage more people to participate. They say... Be a missionary from your kitchen table. So who can teach or who can participate? All you have to do is one requirement. You just have to be a Christian. And the fun thing about it also is you're not randomly assigned students. You get to hand select the students that you want to work with. So what information are you given to be able to select these students? There is eight pieces of information you're given. Their name, the country they live in, which I have students or friends all over the world because of this, the city they live in, their age, there is teenagers, uh, college age, Young pros, young marriage, young families to retirees. 
And I have students that are from teenagers to the 70s. Their gender. So if men only want to correspond with men, or if women only want to correspond with women. Their marital status. So you'll know if they're single or married or widow, whatever. Their occupation. And every occupation here at West Huntsville is represented by the students. There's uh, teachers, police officers, firefighters, engineers, farmers, programmers, students, stay-at-home moms. You get to see what their religion, or they say that their religion is. If you only want students who claim to uh, be Christians and not... Islam or Hindu or Buddhist, then you can do that. A lot of the ones that claim to be Christians have just been, you know, mistaught, just like here in America. One of the questions they ask at the end of each lesson is, what have you learned in this lesson? And it's really encouraging to see the students use their own words to say what they've learned, to see as they learn the truth as they go. And I want to share with you an answer from one of my students recently uh, in regards to this question of what did he learn in this lesson. His name is Mitchell, and he's 45 years old, and he's uh, from Haiti. He said, before this lesson, and of course this is an email, I was honestly among those who used to think that baptism has nothing to do with salvation because reference made to the criminal that Jesus saved and forgave at the cross. But through this lesson, I changed my mind completely and truly believe that baptism is linked to salvation from sin. He gave me his phone number and I passed it on to a local missionary there. So speaking of that, one of the, something new that we're doing to try to be more effective is working with some of our missionaries we've supported. For example, John Paul and Becky and their family that has visited here, they recently moved to Armenia and become missionaries there. And we helped start the first Church of Christ in Armenia just last year. And West Huntsville is working with WE to target advertising so that we get most of the Armenian students. And once we, that student is showing interest, uh, you know, whether it's baptism or more questions, we can connect them now to somebody who's actually living there with John Paul to study more and uh, help them obey the gospel. And he's living in the largest city in Armenia, and it's centrally located, the uh, capital, and there's over one million people that live there. So how does we work? The app does the grading for you. There's just a couple open-ended questions at the end of the reading lesson that you can correct. So there's no paperwork, no files, no headache. Just uh, try a few students and see what you think. And many students do not stick with it. They're just like 
we are when we try to learn a second language. Um, but then you get to select more students and just keep filling the pipeline. You can stop anytime you want to. I started with a few, and after I saw how easy it was, I added more. But everything's done through the app, so they don't see or know your email. Just go to the address at the screen to sign up to be able to start sharing the truth. And another benefit is you're going to also learn more about the Bible and English, if you're like me. But let me know if you sign up and ask me any questions. I want to thank the uh, mission committee for allowing me to, to give this report and to talk about our work in India. And as most of you know around here, if you've talked with me uh, very much, you know that I have a love for India. Been there several times and and have been involved in that work for a long time. And, and so proud that now that my son has taken over as the director of the India work for the Willette Church of Christ. This was his first trip to India. It was supposed to have been a fact-finding trip for him, short trip. We'll visit the schools of preaching, uh, the places there, the hospitals, the orphan homes, the widows' homes, and those things so that he can get a feel for what all's going on. About a week before we were to leave, we got an itinerary from India, and uh, he had, they had us lined up for a lot of work. He said, brother, we must work. And so we worked when we got there. We... Uh, Three of us went, Zach and I and, and uh, Jack Honeycutt, and, and you can see uh, with John Ratnam and his wife, Andrea, Andrea, their two daughters behind them. There's Jack and Zach and John Anand up there and a couple of girls. I think uh, they were orphans at one time, and, but they're, they're working there and with, the, with the church there. They're Christians. John Ratnam... And his brother-in-law, John Anna, uh, well, no, actually, it's his uncle, I guess, uh, are working with the schools there, helping them to, to teach and to preach and direct the work that's going on there. John Anna in the back up there uh, did a lot of translating for me. And, and one day uh, we were out and, and we were talking about polishing the pulpit that this year hopefully we we're going to be able to have polish in the pulpit. And he said, it's always been a dream of mine to go to polish in the pulpit. I, he said, I think that would, would fulfill anything I'd ever want to do. So I told Zach, uh, we got back, I said, John Anna wants to go to polish in the pulpit, and we ought to try to make that happen. Well, John Ratnam was sitting there, and John said, well, he's not going to polish in the pulpit unless I go too. And so, uh, Lord willing, if, uh, if John Anna can get his uh, visa, which is kind of difficult to get in the amount of time he needs to, John Anna and John Ratnam will be traveling to the United States in August, and be, they will be here for about three weeks, but they're going to spend some time at polishing the pulpit, and that's great.
for them. We had a great trip. We were there uh, about two weeks. We uh, traveled a good bit. Uh, we visited 38 villages, uh, 3,219 miles flying. That's, Zach had this down. I think that's in India. I, told, I called him the other day and I said, son, you realize it's like 25,000, 24,000 miles around the earth. And we went halfway around the earth, so over there and back. So we flew just getting there and back almost 24,000 miles. And so he laughed about that. And he said, well, that's probably in India and that's probably true. And then we drove uh, over 1,000 miles. They split us up when we got there and uh, sent us in different directions. The atmosphere, the climate, uh, as far as uh, any hostilities towards Christians had kind of subsided there and, and they felt it was safe that we could, we could all travel uh, separately, so we did. We traveled by car, we had a translator that went with us and a driver, and we'd go to two to three villages a day preaching the gospel. We'd meet back at a central location at night and, and then move from area to area, and we did that. Uh, so we had, a, we had a great trip. As you can see, uh, 394 baptisms uh, in preaching in those villages. And uh, we were pleased with that. Of course, it's not us. It wasn't Zach and Jack and I that caused these baptisms to happen. It was those preachers over there and those Christians who had been working and trying to teach and brought these people to, they called them preachers' meetings, but what it amounted to was several congregations in a region would come together and there, there might be 1,200 to 1,500 people there uh, and, and these preachers would bring a lot of the people they'd been talking to, trying to convert bring them to these meetings and would preach to them and, and they had a lot of conversions. And that is fantastic. But there's baptisms that's going on weekly in India. It's one of the most fertile works that I've ever been associated with or been around. They're, they're baptizing people. And those people are remaining faithful. About between 80 and 85% of those people who are baptized in India will remain faithful to the church. A little later on, I'll show you a slide of a place that I went 20 years ago to. Uh, this is some of the goals that they have for next year, and I think we're not as near as concerned much about that uh, as, uh, as Zach might be in, in uh, doing his presentations. But there are monthly needs for widows. There's 294 widows that they take care of there. There's 417 orphans that they take care of there. There's 400 preachers who receive support. There's over 1,200 preachers there, but only about 400 of them get support. Most of them are at congregations that have grown and can support them and help take care of them, but there's some who are not, and they need, they need help. And then uh, there's printing, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. And then the Herald School of Preaching. The Herald School of Preaching is a school that's set up for teaching denominational preachers. I'll show you a picture of it in a minute. But every denominational preacher that is converted there, and there are a lot of them, has to go to this school if he wants to continue to preach. 
He has to be trained, and they, they want to get the doctrine that's been incorrectly taught them out of them and make sure that they're teaching the correct doctrine that you find in the Bible. This was Jack Honeycutt's, probably his last trip over there. Jack's been the coordinator for uh, over 20 years, made 40 or 50 trips probably there, used to go twice a year. Uh, he went many times before uh, he was a coordinator. They'd go for like three months, and there wasn't cell phones and things like that. Uh, when he first started going over there, he might talk to Becky uh, once every two or three weeks. And he was not the coordinator. He was just going and preaching there. But Jack is a great man. He's done great work over there. And I'm glad to be able to call him a friend. You can see up there, I believe that's uh, the largest uh, uh, lay, whatever you want, of flowers I've ever seen. But they, these people are so kind and compassionate and want to show you honor. And they, they put this big thing around his neck there. And Jack said, told me afterwards, he said, don't let my elders see this. You know, but uh, they were honoring him and uh, they did that. Uh, the cloth that he's got around his neck is a, is a sign of, of honor to an elder. Uh, usually, the, uh, like the village elders or the village president or something like that, which they have a lot of them, will wear those things. But you see Zach and Jack and John up there talking, and, and Jack with uh, John Anna and, and uh, one of uh, the grandsons there, and of course, the family and Jack praying there. But Jack has spent a, a lot of time there, done a lot of hard work, really done good for the church. He loved the orphans. He loved the widows. And he loved to preach there. And uh, uh, all we can say is thank you, Jack, for what you've done. Fruits of India. These were actual fruits that were pictures that were taken while we were there. Uh, of course, you, you recognize the coconut tree there. Uh, over on the top uh, right there is uh, gava. Uh, I've heard of it, but I've never ate it or drank it or whatever. And then mangoes. Mangoes were ripe when we were there. And, and you see a lot of people eating the mango. They just take it and bite the end off of it and squeeze it and, and eat it like that. And, of course, bananas. But it was all evident that these were good trees. They were producing fruit. Even though the bananas, you don't see any bananas on the banana trees there. Uh, it was past the season for bananas. There were a lot of bananas at the market around, but there were evidence and, uh, of, of fruits from the banana tree. Christ, in talking to his apostles in Luke 643 said, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bushes. So it was evident when we were there that the fruits uh, of the gospel were working. There were good trees. There were good signs. Even though we hadn't been there in a couple of years, the brethren had continued. They continued to teach and to preach when they could and, 
and baptisms continued to, to go. They continued to take care of the widows and the orphans and, and all of those things there. And, and it was great. Uh, and so the, there was evidence of good trees there when we were there. Fruits of India, worship, evangelism, benevolence, and edification. We saw all of these things happening when we were there. And uh, it makes you, uh, makes you very proud to be a part of this thing. Uh, West Huntsville should be a proud to be a part of this thing, of what we do there. West Huntsville provides in India, uh, through the church here, we, we support two preachers for each year over there. This year, the mission committee put into their budget to buy 10 bicycles, also 1,000 Bibles. Bicycle is so important over there because a lot of preachers are preaching in two or three different villages, and uh, if the bus doesn't run at the right time, that's about the only means of transportation they'll have. So they take this bicycle, and they will, they'll make it to the villages, and they'll preach on Sundays in Bibles. Every time that we preach and people uh, obeyed the gospel or responded to the gospel, they were given a Bible and they were given a songbook. We take for granted these things, but these people were starving and so glad to be able to get a Bible. And so West Huntsville provided, uh, this year providing for a thousand Bibles over there. There are individuals, families, and the Saints Alive group here have provided things in India. Uh, and, and that's great. We bought sewing machines. We put in wells. We've supported widows. We've supported orphans. And we built church buildings. That's what just people uh, in the congregation are doing here for the families in India. And we're grateful for that. There are a lot of things that uh, could happen there. But of course... Like everything else, it takes money. But India is a beautiful place. You you go there, and if you've never been to India, uh, where we go, you get off of the, get out of the car or whatever. Your first thoughts is, what a nasty place this is. And but in a day or two, you kind of change your mind, and you get to know the people, and you get to see those children. And you see those eyes looking at you and you think about what a beautiful place India is. What a beautiful place to, to see those eyes and look at you. But then you look, what a beautiful place for these souls who are hungry for the gospel. And they will listen to you. And they're glad to be preached to. And so it's a, it's a great place to go. India teaches you lessons. It's taught me more than I've ever taught Indian brethren over there. It teaches you a lot of things. It teaches you to appreciate what you have every day. It teaches you to appreciate the power of the gospel in transforming lives. It teaches you a lot of lessons and it's a great thing to be able to make that trip. And of course India changes it was over 20 years ago that I made my first trip there, but India's changed a lot. Uh, there's not a village that you won't go into now that there's not a Pepsi sign and a Coke sign up there. And so you can buy Pepsi and Coke just about anywhere. 
Uh, they probably have a better internet service there in a lot of places in rural India than I have at my house. Uh, you see that orange internet fiber optic cable, uh, they're plowing in everywhere over there, and it may be two years before we have it at my house. And so things have changed. You'll see uh, satellite dishes on grass huts. They may not have anything but a grass hut, but they've got a satellite dish up there. And, of course, cell phones. It seems like everybody has a cell phone. And uh, so India has changed, but the thing that has not changed is the need for them to know the gospel. Beautiful fruits, it's beautiful, teaches lessons, but can you guess what this is? Anybody? Cashew. All right, that's right. Would you ever thought that a cashew came from a fruit like that? This is the first time we've ever been this time of the year. This is the time of year that cashews are... But you see uh, the, the shape and the seed on the bottom there is where the cashew comes from. And that's what we're used to seeing with the red fruit up there. It's part of a cashew. And you can actually eat the red fruit uh, from it. And then the seed hangs in the bottom right there. Uh, just thousands and thousands and thousands of cashew trees there. And people, uh, some, that's the way some people make their living is with cashews. But uh, uh, we saw that for the very first time. First time we've ever been in April. I hope it's the last time we go in April because it was 100, over 100 degrees every day, 102, 103, 105. It was hot. And uh, I don't know if you'll see a picture of me, but I, I stayed wet the whole time I was there. Fruits of worship. Worshiping truth and spirit. Those brothers over there worship just like we do. They meet on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings or whenever they, the preacher can get there to them. They sing, they pray, they teach lessons, they give of their means. They do just like we do. They're no different. It's just a different time zone and a different language. You'll see down in the bottom there, we, we got uh, it rampant there, and Zach was looking at that, and he said, is that a bug catcher? And... Uh, no, that's what they uh, that's what they take a contribution up with. They got those baskets with a long handle on it, and they walk down the rows and they handle that. And and you just about everybody you see is putting something in there. It may not be much, but they put something in it. Teen, uh, meeting under a tent, they gathered them together, uh, and we're we're worshiping there. This was a day. I guess it was the hottest day that we were there, about 105, and out in and that green tent there, and it was probably 130 degrees under the tent. The fan, the electricity went out, and I was sitting up there. Zach was preaching, and it was so hot. I told him, I said, I got to get off here. I'm going to pass out. And so I got off and went over and sat in the shade over there, and the Indian brethren got concerned about me, sent a man over there with a fan to fan me. And I, I felt bad about that. I said, well, let me fan myself. Of course, he couldn't understand what I was trying to tell him, but but uh, they fanned me, cooled me off and drinking water. But these Indian brethren sat there and they listened to the gospel be preached. And uh, as you can see, a lot of the women's got their saris over their head and all this covered up and it's nothing to them. It was hot to us. Another meeting place, the building is full. It's a hundred and something degrees. That doesn't bother them. They're worshiping. 
And you can see the women sit down, the men sit in the back, or either the women sit on one side and men on the other side. That's the way they are. This is in Rampa on Sunday morning. We went there, probably eight, 900 people there at worship service. And you can see the Lord's table is prepared there just like us. These are the people who responded to the gospel, these young men there. And that was one of the most encouraging things that I saw in India this time was the number of men who are responding to the gospel. The church needs it bad over there because the church primarily in the past had been made up of women. There were very few men. And, and they needed men to, to be baptized, to be leaders in the church and help the church to, to grow and to support themselves. And it was very encouraging there. But this is in Rampa. This is another place. I think this is where I preached at. And there's six or seven girls who have responded to the gospel, want to be baptized. This was one village. The only person who responded to it was this one man here when he responded to the gospel. And he's wearing his loogie. They tried to get us to wear the loogies. We over there, and I said, there's no way I'm going to wear one of them because it would fall off after I walked about two or three steps. But uh, he is obeying the gospel. He's responded to it. This is, again, another picture of the church and ramp up there on Sunday morning. They, uh, they were there. Worship was about an hour and 45 minutes is what it was. And, and you know, if we went an hour and 45 minutes here for worship, a lot of them would get up and leave, but nobody got up and left. And they had Bible class before that. And so they stayed there. It's packed full. This is in Tunic. Zach is preaching there. This is an, a really nice building there. Brother Solomon lives there. He spent all of his money, his inheritance, to build this building and to buy the place where it's built. He said he bought land on what is the main highway, what they call the interstate over there. He bought this property, built this building with his own money, and he spent every, every dime that he had from his dad, his inheritance, to, to build this place. Underneath this floor here, is a, a little apartment-like place. It's where he lives with his wife and his daughter and son-in-law. And then the preachers at the school of preaching there, at the Tooney School of Preaching, live also under there. And there's a library under there, uh, a place for them to study, a little hospital ward. And, uh, but Brother Solomon, a great man, who, who had the uh, foresight to do this, to put it in a place that it would be seen and spent all of his money doing that. This was a place where uh, fruits of evangelism, where I think Zach preached here, but there were 140-something people responded to the gospel. And this is what they call one of their preacher's meetings, and they, they'd come together where they cooked for them, and, and because they traveled, some of them traveled five or six hours to get there on a bus or walking or whatever, but they cooked for them, and he said, they asked them if they wanted to eat before they went to bab baptize them because they had to go a long ways to baptize them. And uh, they said, no, brother, we want to be baptized before we eat. Baptism was important to them, more important than food. And as I mentioned a while ago, uh, some of the individuals here in the Saints Alive have paid for wells, and wells are very important because a lot of places, there's no water for baptism. And so they need water. You can put a, they call them bore wells over there, put a well and a pump in and build a baptistry and they have a place where people can be baptized. This is the Herald School of Preaching. 
This is I was talking about every denominational preacher is converted if he wants to continue to preach, has to go to this school. He goes two weeks out of the month, each month. He goes there, lives in a, they got a little old dorm there, and they live there, and they're taught, and, and they have to do this if they want to continue to preach in the church. Here's a baptism, typical uh, place that has a baptistry, a little concrete pit like that. One of the things that, that uh, the, uh, the brethren in India are so particular about is making sure that a person is buried in baptism. In other words, every part of their body is under the water. And I've seen them do them five, six, seven times until they get that person completely buried and, uh, because they're scared of the water. And uh, it's difficult to baptize them sometimes. Well, they, there was a question about this, and I guess if you notice over there <laughs> to my right are toes sticking out of the water. And uh, I told them, I said, oh, she was under. And I got home and I looked at the picture and I, I saw her toe sticking out there. But this was the second attempt, and the first one, I think, was the good one. But, but uh, that's important to them, to be completely buried in baptism. These three men were obeyed the gospel. And again, I'm so thankful that men are being converted to the gospel over there. And hopefully these men will grow up to be deacons and elders in the church and help the church to maintain itself there. This was a great experience for me. First trip I ever made to India where we used to worship in Falkville. Falkville had built this building and I had the privilege of opening this building up, dedicating the building as they talk about it. And I had taken a picture. I knew I was going to do it when I went. I'd taken a picture of the church building at Falfa with all the congregation in front of me, carried it to the brethren over there. And then I took a picture of them just like this and brought it back to Falkville. I didn't know I was going there this time and, and they pulled up and, and I was thrilled to death and and was preaching, and I told them, I said, it's been over 20 years since I've been here, but I, I preached here uh, several years ago, and it's good to see that the church is still here and still strong. The preacher was, uh, who was there originally is suffering from cancer and not expected to live, but uh, his daughter is on the right over there in the green. After the service, she walked up and brought me the picture that was taken 20-something years ago, just like this right here with me standing in the middle of them. The only difference was I had black hair, not gray hair. But that was a thrill for me to see that the church is, is still there, young kids everywhere, and it's growing. Uh, it's, it's growing strong. This is some of the other things that are going on there. This, this brother up here uh, obeyed the gospel. He was a denominational person. And he heard the gospel preached, and he said, I want to be baptized. I'm not living right. Again, this is the Herald School of Preaching. Here is uh, some of the material that's being printed at the, at the Willette printing press there. There was a farmer up in Willette who sold a farm. He was getting ready to retire. He gave them the money to build a printing press over there. And they're able to, to print uh, a lot of the documents that they need over there but it, you can see here, uh, back to the Bible series. Many of you are probably familiar with that. Back to the Bible series, a three-lesson correspondence course. They've been given permission. They printed that in Telugu. And uh, they're passing that out, a correspondence course. And, of course, they printed a lot bigger than what we have here in the States. And 
I really like that. But you can see the printing press over there. Up in the top there, you see a little bit of water, and they were going to baptize some people, and they got there. There's only about three or four inches of water, mostly mud where the, where the buffaloes and, and stuff water in it, and there's not enough water to baptize them. And so they had to keep searching for a place where there was enough water to be baptized. We don't worry about that, do we? We have a baptistry in the building most places, but they have to hunt for water sometime to be baptized. So a well is very important to them. Fruits of benevolence. Here you see uh, the orphans that are at Rampa. Uh, quite a few of them there, boys and girls, and I, I want you to look at the smile that's on their faces. They're happy. They're well taken care of. And Andrea, I showed you earlier, uh, John's wife, he's the mom, she's the mama to all these kids right here. That's her job, to take care of them. The widows that are in the widow home there help her, and they have a couple of other families that help her, but that's what they do, is take care of these. And that's what the widows do, is help them take care of the orphans. But they're happy. They, they all got new, uh, new towels and new blankets. And... Uh, and some snacks. We give them some snacks. And so uh, some type of benevolent work for them. But they're, they're thankful to get that. Each one of these will probably obey the gospel. They'll arrange their marriage. They'll marry a Christian. And then they'll be taught English. And they'll have an opportunity to go to trade school, go to college, whatever they desire to be, to help them grow. And, and what was so good was I saw one of the guys at Rampa there who was a deacon of the church there, his family. He grew up as an orphan in this home here. There's the widows that are there. You can see this lady standing next to Andrea. Andrea is, uh, I think she said, 98 years old. Uh, of course, there's a lot of them still scared of COVID. She had her mask on, but, but these widows are being taken care of. West Huntsville. This is six widows that you give the money to buy them sewing machines. As you can see, they're all young. What's so sad is the culture there, they'll never remarry. Even though, the, you know, the Bible teaches it's different. But the problem is, is finding somebody that'll marry them. Even if they wanted to get married again, uh, nobody will marry them. So they, they have to take care of themselves. For $100, you can buy a sewing machine, and you'll notice it's not an electric sewing machine, it's a foot pedal sewing machine, because a lot of them will be where there's no electricity. They will teach them to sew, and they can make a living for themselves and their family by sewing. And I, I tried to give each one of them some money so that they'll have money to go buy, you know, some of the things they need to get started with, and... Uh, but they can take care of themselves. And West Huntsville, you did this. Six of these ladies can take care of their families now. And they're all Christians. Some of the orphans, I told you those eyes will pierce your soul. Beautiful people. Beautiful people. You see the beds up there uh, on a trip there a couple of years ago. I think uh, one of the brothers is with us. He said, I'm, I'm not going to have these kids sleeping on these metal beds like this. He said, I'll, I'll get the money. So <laughs> he got the money and said, buy mattresses for all these orphans. Well, they bought mattresses for them. 
we got there and the mattresses were piled over in the corner. They, they didn't want a mattress. They liked that metal bed. That's their blanket right there. Most of the time it's hot enough that they just sleep on that blanket. If it's in the wintertime, uh, it's cold, they might get under it. But in a lot of places, they'll take the younger children and put them with a widow, and they sleep together and help them stay warm, even though we would probably relish the temperature, but they're cold. And so they, that's how the widows help take care of them there. Some more of the widows. Here's saris and blankets and towels that we passed out while we were there. Some more uh, in, in Rampa, some more sewing machines that were given uh, to the uh, widows there. 105 degrees, they were feeding. The top picture there, they cooked out in these big pots over an open fire to feed the people who come to these tent meetings or these preacher meetings and they'd be feeding 12, 1,500 people. Uh, they were benevolent. They, they wanted to take care of them. And then the bottom picture there is art. And, and I'm not exactly sure what all it is, but it's some type of Indian art. But, but the children, the orphans, they take chalk and they, they make these. And they, they, they love to do it. They're happy to do it. And uh, it was kind of encouraging me to, to see this type of stuff, to realize that, you know, they do uh, enjoy what's being done for them and, and uh, there's, there's something more than just building an orphan to their life. And Rampa, at night, the, uh, we'd be eating supper, and usually pretty late, and we got in late, and the, the uh, orphans would be sitting outside singing uh, gospel songs in English for us to edify us. And what a great encouragement uh, to be able to be a part of that. Let's consider our fruits. We read earlier from Luke, the sixth chapter, in the, in the same account found in Matthew, Jesus said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. We know when we visit there and we see the things that are happening that they are being fruitful. The question is, what about us? Are we being fruitful? If Christ was to look at our tree, our tree of life, or if our life was a tree, what would he say about us? Would he say we're a good tree, we're bearing good fruits? Or would he say we're a bad tree and we're bearing bad fruits and that we need to be cut down and thrown into the fire? Also in Matthew, Jesus uh, was talking to his disciples and he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I've often been intrigued by this question that, that Jesus asks here. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And I guess there's two ways you can look at this. Is what are you willing to give for your soul? 
Or what have you give in exchange for your soul? What Jesus was talking about was loving the world more than yourself. Like that rich young ruler who went away sorrowful because he had many riches. Jesus told him to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. What are we giving for our souls? Are we giving worldly pleasures and all these things of this life in exchange for our souls? And we're going to lose our souls in the day of judgment? Or if on the day of judgment we're found wanting, what would you give in exchange for your soul? What would you be willing to give the day of your death, what would you be willing to give? I, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. There's not a person alive who faced God who, who will be lost, who would be willing to give all they ever had, everything, to have their souls back again. But it's too late. Tonight, we still have an opportunity to change that faith of what we would give in exchange for our soul. If you have a need for the gospel, we urge you to come and to obey it. You've heard it preached. You need to obey it and be buried with Christ in baptism. If you're a Christian and you're living a life that's not fruitful, that's evident of bad fruit, you need to change that. You need to ask the church to pray for you so that you can be a good tree with good fruit. If you have a need, we'd like for you to come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.